Our first reading is from First Chronicles chapter 29, starting from verses 1 through to verse 19. This is on page 426 of our church Bibles. First Chronicles chapter 29, page 426. And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So I have provided for the house of my God, so far I was, as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver and bronze, and the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, and wood for the things of wood, besides, besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones, and marble. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have treasure of my own of gold and silver, and because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house. And for all the work to be done by craftsmen, gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? Then the leaders of fathers' houses made their free will offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands of hundreds, and officers over the king's work. They gave for the, house, for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Jehiel, the Gashonite. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David, the king, also rejoiced greatly. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. 
And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house, for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here, offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. Please stand with me to our next reading, which is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, uh, from verses 41. This is on page 1024 of our church Bibles. Mark, chapter 12, starting from verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had and all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Bramwell, thank you for reading so well for us. Um, Please do keep that second reading open in front of you, Mark chapter 12. That's the one we'll be looking at over the next uh, short while. And uh, let me just lead us in prayer again as we begin. Father God, we do uh, thank you for your lavish uh, generosity to us. I thank you that everything we have comes uh, from you. Uh, Please would you uh, help us see more of what it looks like to uh, serve Jesus obediently, uh, joyfully, and generously. In his name and for your glory we pray. Amen. Back in July 2012, while most of the UK was gearing up for the London Olympics, there was a World Series of Poker event going on in Las Vegas. 
and that uh, poker event is famous for two reasons. The first is it had the highest buy-in of any event at a cool $1 million. That's what it costs to enter a $1 million. And the second reason is it is still to date the largest win ever in a poker tournament. The winner, Antonio Esfandiari, took home just over $18 million. Now, don't worry if poker means nothing at all to you, and please don't hear me as encouraging anyone to gamble. We shouldn't. Uh, no, what I want to do is help us see why going all in when it comes to Jesus is the only right response. Now, my aim this morning is simple. I want to persuade every single one of us to go all in, both feet first, to bet the house, to risk it all for Jesus. And if we see straight, we'll discover it is the most sensible, most joyful thing anyone can ever do. As we heard earlier, we're having a one-off day today, a one-off sermon today, as it's Giving Sunday. And so as we begin, I want to say, if you're visiting, if you're not yet a committed member here at St. John's, please do listen in. We're looking at God's Word. There is nothing more important to focus on. But don't think we're after your money. No, Jesus demands much more than that. You see, what is before us this morning is a a beautiful little picture of wholehearted, costly, sacrificial devotion. I do hope you've still got sight of Mark 12, page 1024. And we're going to highlight two key truths. The first is Jesus knows if we're all in. Jesus knows if we're all in. Just look at this true story with me once again. Verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. Since chapter 11 in Mark's gospel, Jesus has been in and around the temple. And it's basically been Jesus up against the Jewish leaders again and again. They keep challenging him. He keeps calling them out. They've turned the temple into a den of robbers. Jesus is the Lord who's come to judge the temple. They're all about what they can get, what they can steal. Jesus is the Lord who's come to lay down his life. In the parable of the the tenants in chapter 12, they want to keep hold of the inheritance that belongs to the beloved son. But now the heir has arrived And Jesus exposes how these scribes want to keep all the power, all the prestige and money for themselves. Just uh, before our reading today, Jesus says this, verse 38. In his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And it's in stark contrast to these scribes who get this ray of sunlight with the widow and a dark valley of judgment. Maybe this widow is one of those who's been taken advantage of by the scribes. Certainly her poverty is underlined. She's not just a widow with no one to look after her. She's a poor widow. 
Verse 41, Mark says, lots of people are throwing lots into the treasury. They're probably uh, throwing money into uh, trumpet-shaped funnels. Everyone can hear the coins going in. But in contrast to the many, Jesus observes, observes this poor widow, literally one poor widow, and she puts in just two tiny coins. It's the smallest amount you could give. It's deliberately the other end of the spectrum to those chucking in loads of cash. And she puts in about one or two pounds, if that. It's nothing. It's insignificant. It's not even worth the temple authorities posting a thank you letter for her contribution because that would cost more than she's giving. But Jesus knows it's everything. See, just look how Jesus responds, verse 43. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Jesus says, truly, I say to you. In other words, listen up. This is really important. He wants his disciples to know this poor widow is the biggest giver. She gives more than the sum total of all those throwing large amounts into the coffers. She's not going to have a new wing of the temple hospital named after her. She's not going to have her name engraved on the wall of the top ten biggest donors. She's not going to have her photo in the newspaper as she hands over the giant cheque. But infinitely more important than anything like that, Jesus notices. And he always notices. As some of the poorest Christians have been the biggest givers. As we look around, I don't know how much each one of us gives in terms of amounts. I definitely don't know how much anyone gives as a proportion of what they own. But Jesus does. Now, the scribes, they, they love what the world loves, what we naturally love. Rule, reputation, riches. And the widow has none of that, but even then she gives away what she has. Money's already been in focus for Mark the author. Back in chapter 10, we read about Jesus meeting a wealthy man. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And what that man can't do, this widow exemplifies. And then in chapter 11, Jesus enters the temple, a temple and uh, drives out those who've turned it into a marketplace to turn a tidy profit. Now they want to grab and grasp for themselves. This poor widow, she gives. And then in chapter 12, Jesus is quizzed about paying taxes to Caesar. And he has that brilliant response. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And we're all made by God in the image of God. He owns us all and he owns our all. And so we should render our all, which is precisely what this widow does. As some folk ask, is the widow a stark example of costly devotion or a, just another warning on the temple? 
Is this actually exposing just how wicked the scribes are, how corrupt the temple has become? Is it an example of the scribes devouring widows' houses? Or is it an example, a a real-life illustration of wholehearted devotion, one woman standing out from the crowd? Well, I think it can be both. Uh, The context is clearly one of judgment on the temple and the scribes, and the contrast is clearly focusing on her giving her all. You see, Jesus doesn't just want a contribution. He wants total commitment. It's what the scribes are failing to do. In fact, they're doing the opposite. They're condemned, verse 40. And by implication, the widow is commended. And so this passage is actually about far more than money. But it's certainly not not about less than what we do with our money. Perhaps we've heard people say something like this before. God doesn't care how much you give. He cares about your heart as you give. And for sure, God loves a cheerful giver. The Apostle Paul warns us not to give reluctantly or grudgingly. But it's not quite what we read here, is it? What's underlined is precisely how much this widow gives. And it's everything. It's her whole life she hands over. She holds back. Nothing. And by giving everything she has to live on, she's completely relying on God for her life both then and for the future. She's trusting God to provide. If I'm this lady, I'm thinking, what will I eat tomorrow? Uh, Wouldn't it be sensible to save some for a rainy day and so on? And the Bible does commend prudent use of money and caring for those who depend on us. But we mustn't confuse that with holding back on wholehearted, full-throttled obedience and commitment to Christ. You see, Jesus owns us and everything about us, our, our reputation, our sexuality, our possessions, our time, our ambitions. It'd be crazy, wouldn't it, to say you can give 10% of your sexuality to Jesus. Uh, Giving 10%, the tithe in the Old Testament, was an expression, an acknowledgement that it all belonged to God. As we just read in 1 Chronicles 29, for all things come from you, God, and of your own have we given you. Uh, We mustn't think we're giving to somehow earn favor with God or because he needs our money. We mustn't think we're giving to prop up the church just to keep it going. We give because of God's generosity to us. We give because we're so grateful for Jesus. We give because we long to acknowledge everything we are, everything we have already belongs to Jesus. When we become a Christian, we hand over to Christ all those things the scribes and the world crave. Reputation relationships, riches. Jesus notices how much we give and crucially Jesus knows how much we hold back. Now that's not meant to sound as threatening as it does. It should be an encouragement. Often what we give is unseen by others. As Simon was mentioning, many at St. John's will be giving in very costly ways. And not just financially, but in time and effort, giving up reputation perhaps. None of it is overlooked by Jesus. But there is also the question I've been asking myself. What am I holding back from Jesus? 
It's true, no gift is ever too small to matter to him. The child giving uh, some of their pocket money out of godly conviction is of tremendous value in Jesus' sight. But it's also true that all Jesus asks of us is our all, our everything. So have you given your all to Jesus? As I heard someone say this week, don't assume it, say it. Jesus, I give you my all. What does Peter say in chapter 10, verse 28? Peter began to say to him, see, we've left everything and followed you. What does Jesus say is the most important commandment? Chapter 12, verse 30, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. What should we give to God? Our all, everything. Now, obviously, part of our all is our possessions. I know legally we can't do it, I don't think so at least, uh, but mentally, maybe we could change the name on our bank accounts or or the house deeds to Jesus. They are his property of Jesus Christ. It made me reflect, are there ways we're, we're spending, I'm spending on myself without considering Christ? Has our standard of living remained the same as our salary has gone up or has it risen in line? Have I even thought about it? Here's a scary question. Am I living in such a way that it's evident my money and my whole life belong to Jesus? Now, if we can remember, I said my one big aim is to persuade us to go all in, just like this widow. And so it brings us to the second big truth today. Jesus is worth going all in on. Jesus is worth going all in on. Uh, Just uh, this week I was reading about a lady in Iran. She was given a Bible by a relative and she read it. And as she read it, she began looking for answers she had been looking for her whole life. And she said this, when I closed the book, the first thing I said was, it is truly the living word of God. This God is righteous and holy. I saw his mercy, justice, holiness and love in this book and found it in God. And she became a follower of Jesus. And her husband, who's a Muslim, found out. And he was furious. He threw her out of the house. She was told she'd never see her two children again. Can you imagine what that'd be like? She said it was devastating, which I guess is an understatement. But she also said Jesus was worth the price. Just as an aside, as Stephen mentioned, we'll be praying for the persecuted church this Wednesday. Please do join us in person or in Zoom if you can. Uh, Now in God's kindness, I should tell you the end of the story. In God's kindness, the husband did eventually uh, let this woman back into the home. Uh, But then she was arrested by the police and the family have had to flee from Iran. Why would anyone live like this? How can she say Jesus is worth it? Well, only if we see who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Apparently, when that poker player won $18 million, his final play was to go all in. He bet all his chips, all his money, that his cards were better. It was a calculated risk. Unless we see Jesus for who he really is, living like this seems foolish. 
risky, reckless. But Mark has already been at pains to show us Jesus' identity. It is no risk at all. Jesus is the one with all authority. He is God on earth with power over people, over evil, over illness, over nature, even over death. He is God's true king who meets our greatest, our deepest needs. To follow him is to find true satisfaction. Jesus isn't a king who grasps, but who gives. Just a couple of chapters earlier, we read these words. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. We know what comes out of our hearts defiles us. Even the best of us have evil thoughts, impure motives, selfish ambition welling up within us. But naturally, we want to be the ones calling the shots, not Jesus. We deserve God's anger. But Jesus has given his life on the cross as a ransom. He has given his all. If it's not irreverent, we can say at the cross, Jesus went all in. Perhaps as we were listening to how the widow gives out of her poverty, we were thinking, who gives their all like this widow? And of course, the answer is Jesus. This is the sort of giving Jesus shows at the cross. Uh, The final words of our reading might be paraphrased. She lay down her whole life. That's what Jesus did at the cross, isn't it? As Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 8. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus gives all, and so Jesus claims all. He doesn't bury the cost in the small print. If we were to read on in Mark's gospel, we would come across another woman who gives her all. As Jesus was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Now, none of us here are as wholehearted as we could be or should be in following Jesus. But if it seems straight up weird or alien to live like this, or you know deep down you really don't want to live like this, then it might just be you haven't really become a Christian in the first place. It might be we're new to Christian things or perhaps we've never given Jesus careful consideration before. And so it's helpful to know that this is just Christian living 101. This is basic, regular, run-of-the-mill discipleship. Jesus says in chapter 8, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. It's more motivation, isn't it? Jesus is coming back in judgment. He died. He rose in power. He will return. The only safe place is siding with him. But siding with him and with Jesus, well, it means giving our all, giving our life to him. If you're a jumping off a burning boat into the sea. It is all or nothing, isn't it? 
You can't jump off with 90% of your body. You can't jump in with just your mind. You can't kind of hedge your bets and go 50-50. Now, living like this widow is the only way to live as an authentic Christian. Now, I don't think this means everyone here has to empty their bank accounts, sell their homes, and give it all to St. John's. But the point is, it all belongs to Jesus anyway. So we should see all of it as for his use. Are we gladly, willingly offering it all to him for his use? You see, far from being drudgery, when we give our all to Jesus, we discover freedom. We commit ourselves to the one who made us, who knows us better than we know ourselves, and who loves us with a deep and unbreakable love. There's always the danger of looking sideways when it comes to wealth or anything else for that matter. Uh, We look to people who have more or who give more or who might give less. The right response, though, must always be to look to Jesus. Then we see one who has given himself to us, for us. He has given his life that we might have life. And it shows us the extent of God's love and generosity towards us. And then it is the model for us to follow. There is nothing too costly in our service of Jesus. But it also reassures us our acceptance, our worth, our identity aren't in how much we give or don't give. It's not in how well we serve Jesus, but in his service of us. But as we look to Jesus, we'll know more and more it is worth going all in. Now it's important to say living like this, indeed giving like this, will always look unimpressive. Do you notice the scribes, they want to look their best in the flowing robes, in the the places of honour. Uh, The scribe, she looks like a nobody doing a nothing work. And so Jesus on the cross looks like a nobody doing a nothing work, even as he gives his all. Only the eyes of faith uh, can see him for who he really is, God himself, dying in the place of sinful, sinful humanity to win salvation. And so this means living all in for the Christian Well, it will often look like nobody's doing nothing work. But in serving Jesus with our all, we're doing the most valuable, worthwhile thing anyone can do with their life. For some of us, this might mean putting our trust in Jesus for the first time. Perhaps committing to to find out more about him, coming along to one of those Hope Explored courses. For some of us, it might mean transforming our intention to give into action. We actually set up a direct debit. Uh, For some, it may mean increasing what we give, either to keep up with inflation or because we realize we can give even more. Uh, For others, we might need to reduce the amount we give, but in reality, with the cost of living, it's giving very sacrificially and generously, and Jesus knows. Our parents, if we believe Jesus really is worth it, then our children are never too young to be encouraged to give generously and wholehearted devotion to Jesus. How we mustn't Disciple them to be half Christians. Our understanding and appreciation of God's extravagant grace to us will be demonstrated in extravagant devotion to him. It'll look different for each one of us depending on our circumstances. But it will make no sense to those who don't know Jesus. Towards the end of his life, a godly pastor I knew had someone look over his finances And his giving was described as kamikaze giving. 
And that's what this widow's doing, isn't it? In fact, I can remember this pastor talking about how you can teach your money a lesson. How you show your money it's not in control by giving it away. It makes zero sense, no sense at all if this world is all there is. If Jesus isn't Lord, if he didn't die on the cross for us and rise again, if he's not coming back, then, then living like this, giving like this, it's one of the worst uses of our money. But the gospel is true. So in what ways are we living or spending that make no sense to the world? Now, as Simon mentioned, it might be some of us have been following what's been going on in the Church of England recently. I will hear a bit more about it next Sunday. And it is important to be really clear. All the money given at St. John's does go directly to the ministry at St. John's to supporting our mission partners. We give to the Church of England only what is covering our costs. I've been struck how just after this widow gives to the temple, what happens next? Jesus says the temple's going to be destroyed. I wouldn't want anyone here thinking they're giving to support an institution that seems to be sinking faster than a stone covered in lead. Uh, we need to be clear. Christ is the new temple, not the Church of England, uh, not St. John's. We don't have to give everything to St. John's, but to Jesus. But of course, a significant chunk of what Jesus entrusts to us, we will want to give to support gospel ministry in our local church. And so if you are a member here, we can give confidently to the work at St. John's. Uh, tithing, giving 10% is a good starting point. It's not a fixed rule. For some, it might be more than we can afford. Uh, for many, it will be far less. But for all of us, following Jesus is going to be costly, sacrificial, and utterly worth it. Later in the New Testament, we read of Christians giving with a very similar mindset to this widow. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8 about the Macedonian churches, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Isn't that just like the widow? Extreme poverty, great generosity. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. In giving ourselves to Jesus, we give ourselves to one another in that order. And so whatever our circumstances, and whatever our financial situation, my prayer is we find joy in giving with an overflowing generosity in response to God's overflowing generosity to us in Jesus. I'm aware all of us will fall short in giving Jesus our all. And so we all need to keep coming back to the cross for that forgiveness, that cleansing. But it doesn't mean we stop seeking to give God his due. At returning to the image of poker one more time, if I may. The buy-in for following Jesus is our all. But the jackpot, if you will, is Jesus himself. And you simply cannot wish for anything better. Let's pray together. She, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Father God, we do thank and praise you for how this widow points us to Jesus, points us to the cross. 
Thank you for your lavish, generous love for us that Jesus gave his all that we might live. Please would we joyfully in response give our all in, in serving Jesus, in knowing him and making him known. Thank you for what you have entrusted to us. Uh, please help us use all that you have given us for Jesus and his glory. And we ask it in his name. Amen. <laughs>